You're listening to a message from Spindle City Vineyard. Connect with us or find out more at spindlecityvineyard.com. So, uh, as I said, my name is Imani, and I am a pastoral intern here. I also help lead worship with Dan, and I love Jesus. And I am honored enough to be able to share the Lord's word with you this morning. Um, I have the pleasure of introducing and kind of capping off uh, the Israel's journey from Babylon to back to the promised land, and we're going to be in Ezra and Nehemiah today. Um, In our Bibles, Ezra and Nehemiah are two separate books, but they actually were meant to be as one book overview. When I was, before we get into this, let me ask you guys this question, because you guys know I like to ask questions. How many people, this is a silly question, but how many people like binge watch TV, like shows and all the things? Yes, I also do these things. So what is, yeah, I'm going to ask. What, so while I get myself together, I want you to get in maybe groups of one or two or three, and I want you to share a show that had a really good ending and a show that you watched that had a really terrible ending. You're like, why did I waste my time watching this show? I promise you there has something to do with it. But while you guys are discussing, I'm going to get myself together. But that's two questions I'd like to ask. What's the TV show that you watched that had a really, really good ending? And then a TV show that you watched that had a terrible ending. You're like, oh my goodness, why did I watch the show? What's happening? I promise there's a reason behind that. Okay, go. That's the little portion of talking that you'll probably get during this. <laughs> um, all right, so when I thought about this, when I thought about this, I was like, okay, I mean, there's been plenty of shows that I watched that have, that have had really good endings. Um, uh, I don't want to, sh- uh, yeah, I'll share. One of my favorite a- endings of a show was Breaking Bad. Yes. yes. Don't judge me for watching that show. But it was probably, Breaking Bad was probably one of the most perfect endings I had ever seen in my life. And then they continued on and they had like a movie afterwards. I was like, oh my gosh, this is even more perfect. And it was just like a great ending to a show. The worst ending I have ever seen in a show was for a show I called How, called How I Met Your Mother. Has anyone watched this? Oh yeah, the worst. Waste of my time. Waste of my time. If you've never seen it, I don't want to spoil it for you, but let's just say the last season undoes everything that you have seen in the, enti- in the last, like, three episodes. It just undoes the entire show, and you're like, why? Like, this is pointless. This is dumb. So when I was reading Ezra Nehemiah, I immediately thought of How I Met Your Mother because uh, the way that Ezra Nehemiah does, it's like it has this, all these big, like, grand things that happen, and then everything just keeps falling flat. And I was like, this is literally like the story of Ted and Robin. It just keeps up and down and up and down. And then by the end, you're like, why did, like, not saying, why did I read this? Because the Bible's important. You should read it. Speaking of which, here's my goat Bible. You guys know I always have to talk about it while I'm here. Make sure to read it. Um, But it really, I'm going to spoil this for you. Ezra Nehemiah does not end the way that you want it to end. And you're kind of like, what? Like, that is the worst ending I have ever heard. And uh, I'm going to do kind of like, I'm going to pretend like Ezra Nehemiah is like a TV show. And we're going to go through seasons so I can kind of explain to you what I mean. And then I'm going to kind of hone in on a specific season that I would like to talk about. And then we're going to end and see wherever the Lord lands us. So like I said, I'm going to give you like a little overview, but it's just really important that you actually read the Bible 
because what I say up here is not nearly as powerful or as, as important. So just that's my disclaimer. Please read it. It might be hard to read, but it's worth it. And before we really get started, I'm going to pray because that's important. And I'm going to sit down and get comfy. Get comfy, guys. It's going to be a ride. So, <laughs> Lord, we just want to slow down. <clears throat> I know for me, I'm just going to take a breath. And we know that you're here, Lord, and we know that we are under your gaze. And we know that you're wanting to speak to us this morning. You've already begun speaking to us. You've already begun breaking down our hearts and softening our hearts towards who you are. And I just pray, Lord, that every single word that is said, whether through my mouth or even the mouths of the people upstairs or whatever, God, that everything is dripping with your anointing and that everything is just straight from your lips and not mine and not theirs. And I just pray at the end of the day that you are glorified for who you are and that we all see you, the character of who you are, God, the character of who you are, Father, the character of who you are, Jesus, regardless of the mistakes humanity has made, that you are seen and that you are glorified. Come, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Previously on Ezra Nehemiah. So there was... I'll try to, do, I'll just say this. You should go back and watch all of the prior sermons because we talked about, from, we've been in the Old Testaments for like two years. So we have been going through every single book of the Bible and we're kind of nearing the end. And basically what we've learned is that God created heavens, earth, humanity. Humanity messed it up, broke the relationship with God broke the relationship with humanity, and this entire rest of the Bible is God coming back to restore the relationship between himself and humanity and restore the relationships between humanity and humanity. So he enters into a covenant relationship with the people of Israel, and he's basically like, if you love me and love one another, I got you. I'm going to bring you into a promised land, and then I'm going to show all of the nations what a relationship with me looks like through you. And they're like, cool, we would love that, but also we're just going to do whatever we want. And there's this back and forth, the entire Bible of just God being like, love me, love others. And they're like, we're going to worship other gods. We're going we're gonna to oppress other people. Yay. And then God sends these prophets that says, listen, the prophets are kind of the word of God. And they're like, they say the words of God. And they're like, if you don't get your stuff together, I'm going to kick you out of the promised land. For a, for a time, and uh, at the end of the day, like, you just, you need to love me and you need to love others. And then uh, they just keep saying, yeah, we're going to listen, we're going to listen, but they don't. So eventually, God's like, all right, you guys did not honor the contract that we had, so I have to kick you out. But it's not going to be forever. It's only going to be for 70 years. And when you come, and when I, when you guys come back, a new temple is going to be here with my presence. And you guys are going to finally show the nations, like, who I am. And my covenant that I made with your father Abraham, it's going to happen. All this stuff is going to happen. So this is where Ezra and Nehemiah is taking place. They have just done, they are, they're in Babylon. And they're, the whole story of Ezra and Nehemiah is coming back 
to the promised land and what that looks like for them now post-exile. Does that make sense? Okay, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So in season one, we are expecting God's presence in a new temple. We are expecting the, uh, sorry, Yaakovo, can you do the next slide? (laughs) We're expecting God's kingdom over the nations, and we're expecting that Abraham's, uh, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham is going to happen. So when we're going to Ezra and Nehemiah, we're like on a high, like, okay, We're about to go back to the promised land. It's going to be awesome. All this stuff is going to happen. But unfortunately, that is not what happens. So I'm going to give a little brief overview of what actually happens instead. So God stirs the Persian king Cyrus to let the the Israelites go back to the promised land. And Zerubbabel, who was their leader, he says, all right, let's go and reconstruct the, the temple. That's all part of the prophets. That's all part of the plan. And uh, we get some people in the land in Israel who they were, they're kind of the, grand, the grandkids of the people that were left there because not everybody went. So the grandkids that were left there, they've just been worshiping however they knew how to worship. So it's kind of like this mixture of worship and all this stuff. But they're like, we really have a yearning to worship the God that we are supposed to worship. So they come up and they're like, hey, Zerubbabel, can we help you build the temple? Like, we want to be a part of this. And Zerubbabel's like, nah, my dude. Y'all, you guys are not like, you guys aren't like pure enough to do that. We don't want, you You have no part of the temple. And uh, it's messed up because it's like, it's just messed up. So uh, this causes like this opposition because the, the people that were left and that they want to help, they're like, well, how come we can't do this? So then they have this whole back and forth. They have like, these letters that go back and forth to the king. The king stops, the, stops all of the um, construction. And then they start the construction again. It's a whole back and forth. You guys can read it. I don't want to get into it. But what we get then, as opposed to what we were supposed to get, which is the new temple with God's presence, and uh, we're supposed to get like the nations coming back, and we're supposed to get this promise, we end up getting a, we do get a new temple, but there's like, okay, let me go back. Sorry, I'm missing a part. So when the first temple was built, God's presence came down like crazy. It was this, the fire and the glory of God. It was like this big to-do the second time when they built it, nothing happens. So there are, some people are excited because they're like, well, we got the temple back, yay. But the people that originally saw what happened, they're like, where is God? Is God even here? So there's like weeping because they're like, this is not the same. This is not what we were expecting. And that's not what the prophet said. The prophet said, we're going to have a new temple with God's presence. So we have celebration and weeping. We have a new temple, but we're not sure if God's presence is even there. And then we have a strict enforcement of the law. And when I say it's a strict enforcement of the law, I, I'm saying that part where they're like, you have no part here. It's a little bit part of the law because there were certain things where it's like we can't, we can't, we have to kind of keep integrity with what God has called us to do with the temple. But there was a lack of grace and there was a lack of mercy. And there was probably another way that they could have handled it, but instead they just strictly enforced the law. And that's how season one ends, which is super awkward. And you're like, oh, do I want to keep watching this show? But we will. <laughs> season two. We're actually, I'm not going to get super duper into season two because I'm going to come back at it at the end. But season two is when Ezra 
kind of pops in. Ezra is a leader who's obsessed with the law. He like, is like a nerd for the law. He just loves it. And all he wants to do is have people learn it and abide by it, and it's great. We are going to pause and not go through season two because I want to come back to that later. So let's just skip to season three really quick. So season three is when Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah is a cupbearer for the king, a Persian king, again, Artaxerxes, and he is, he's like talking to his people and he's like, hey, you guys are back in the promised land, how is it? And they're saying like, man, it's kind of a drag. Like the temple's there, but the, pres the presence of God isn't there. And also our walls are burnt to the ground. Like when I was thinking about this scene, you know what the scene in Independence Day where the aliens, like, they show, like, the aftermath of the aliens and, like, the Statue of Liberty is, like, in the, in the water and, like, all the buildings are burned down? That's literally what they're explaining. They're like, our city is still in ruins and we don't know what to do. And Nehemiah's like, what? Like, he's like, I am upset. So he just, like, tears his clothes and he's crying and he's so upset that he goes to work to be the cupbearer and the king is like, bruh, like, why are you so sad? Like, what's going on? And he's like, my, my, whole, my hometown's in ruins. I don't know what to do. And he was like, well, you know, I love you. You're a great cupbearer. Why don't you go back, rebuild the walls, and then come back to me later? And his is mad cool. So <laughs> he's like, okay, fine. I'm going to go. He takes a whole bunch of people with a whole bunch of, like, supplies. They start rebuilding the walls. And then there's a couple of folks that are there, and they're haters. And they're like, we don't want the wall to be built. So they, they start kind of undermining all of the efforts that are happening. And Nehemiah, he has a choice to kind of like show some people grace, but instead he's like, no, we're gonna arm up and we're gonna fight you if you try and come at us. So everyone starts building, but everyone that, that <laughs> it's funny, everyone that's building the wall has to have a, a sword, has to be like ready to fight. If anybody, if anyone comes that's opposing, he's like, listen, we're, we're ready to fight. So. This is not necessarily the most Christ-like way of doing things, not necessarily the most godly way of doing things, but this is just kind of, again, it's this kind of lack of mercy and lack of grace that's kind of flowing in here because I understand, like, they want to protect the wall. We get it. But also, do we need to really arm up like that? Like, and in all of these situations, no one's really being like, Lord, what should we do? They're just kind of like, well, in my humanity, let's just arm up. Then that, that doesn't that makes sense, right? So instead of, so again, we are expecting, what to expect is God's presence in a new temple. We have a new temple still without God's presence. We're expecting God's kingdom over the nations. We, but for some reason, we're about, we're arming up when other people are trying to come to us, we're arming up. And then we're also trying to get the fulfillment of uh, God's, God's promise to Abraham, which is basically that, we're going to be the father of the nations and all that stuff. Still not happening. What we get in season three, we get the rebuilding of the walls. We get some confession and repentance of sins because at one point, the people of Israel were oppressing their people again and Nehemiah calls them out and they, then they stop. So they do kind of stop doing that. But then it's a strict and harsh enforcement of the wall to keep people out. Even though it was very important that people stay in, hi Danny, that people, that people come, into the, come into Jerusalem so they can see who God is. So what we end up at the series finale, we're at the series finale now. Oh, sorry, that's how it ends, really. It's just, that's how season three ends, is 
they're enforcing the wall. It's a whole thing. Series finale. We have a wall. We have a new temple. We don't have God's presence. But people are like, we got to get something going, whatever. So Ezra comes in. He reads the law just straight up, straight up and down. Again, I told you, he's a real nerd for the law, so he knows it. And people are weeping because they are feeling convicted of every sin that they've ever had. And they're like, wow, we really messed this up. And they make this big, huge proclamation. There's like this big celebration. And they're like, we're, gonna, we're, we're proclaiming we are committing to this law. We are not going to stray from it. We're going to honor the Sabbath. We're going to respect the temple. We're going to love God. We're going to love others. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. And Nehemiah is like, awesome. This is exactly what we're looking for. Yes, I'm going to leave you guys and leave you to it. It's great. So Nehemiah goes back to Anaxerxes. He's doing his thing. He's like, I'm going to go back and visit and see how things are going. <laughs> and then he gets up there. People are disrespecting the temple. He, they, all the haters, well, all the haters that were trying to like demise him where he said, you're not allowed in here. They're letting them go into like the holiest of holy places. And he's like, are you kidding me? Then they're disrespecting the wall that he worked so hard to get built. And he's like, what is happening here? They're, they're working on the Sabbath. They're literally doing everything that they proclaimed again that they wouldn't do because this is a classic every time. And uh, Nehemiah, because he's a great leader, he's like, oh, okay, guys, you know, let's just work on it. He does not say that, actually. That's a lie. I just made that up. What he does, <laughs> he starts beating people up. Oh. He starts tearing out their hair. He's, he's so angry, and he's like, I literally can't believe you guys. Like, we've done so much. And then at the end of the book, I'm sorry, yeah, at the series finale, he goes and he's like, Lord, at least I tried to do the right thing. And that's literally how it ends. Worst finale ever. How I Met Your Mother, the worst. How Israel Meets the New Land, it's, it's a whole bad. So I was like, okay, Lord, how do I preach on this? Because what? Like, it's just a lot. And I think it's important when we read texts like this to understand that this is not necessarily a way that Christians or people of the church are supposed to prescribe. Like, this is not a prescription for how we're supposed to act. It's really just a description of the humanity that is. Even though we can say like, oh, I know God and he knows me and all this stuff, there are certain fleshy things that just flow out of us when our hearts are not in the right place. And we are, when our hearts are unchanged and when we don't understand grace, under, don't understand mercy and don't understand who God is for real. And what I realized is that while Israel was physically free, their hearts were still unchanged. They were physically free, but their hearts were still unchanged. And I wonder how many people in the church are like this. How many of us? We're in the land of the free, home of the brave, but where is my heart? That's it. I'm going to done. No, I'm stupid. Um, but I left out a specific promise on purpose because throughout the whole text of Ezra and Nehemiah, the only people that really go to seek the Lord are Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are the only two people that really go and like, okay, Lord, what do we do? The rest of the people, they don't. And 
one of the big promises that the prophets had given the people of Israel, in addition to the new temple and being with the nations and all that stuff, was that there was a messianic king that was supposed to come and rule. And the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, the overview just goes to show that while these people are back in the land, while they're physically free, their hearts are unchanged, and the only way that their hearts will be changed is will be with this, this messianic king that's going to come. Jesus still, they still need Jesus, period. Because a lot of people, you can tell, like when you're reading it, it's like everybody, everyone's doing everything in their own strength. And everything just keeps falling flat. And they keep getting opposition. And they keep just all this drama, all this conflict, all this like, ugh. And it's because they don't have Jesus. That's it. And I was thinking, I was thinking about me. And I was thinking about so many times I'm trying to do stuff. Even when I was making, putting the sermon together, I was like, okay, well, I can do it like this and I can do it like that. And it was I, 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 I can, I can, I can, I can. And then the Lord was like, hey, aren't I, aren't I in charge? Don't I know the beginning from the end? And I just want us to take a second to just think about the things in our lives that just keep falling flat. And I want to ask, have you allowed Jesus into those parts of your life? Or is it just one of those things where you're like, ah, no, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. Food for thought. And the last little bit that I want to get into. <laughs> oh, Lord, help me. So remember how I skipped season two? I did that on purpose. Partially because sometimes when we're in the Bible, we like to skip over parts that we don't like or that are kind of ugly. But we still need to read them. It's important. So uh, in season two, there's this whole bit. So Ezra comes back to Israel, and he's like, everyone's got to read the Torah. It's going to be great. You gotta, we're going to do it. And then some of the folks go to him and say, hey, so some of the leaders, some of the priests have intermarried with some of the, the people from the other countries. And I'm going to read this, and it's not great. <laughs> Very cringy. But I'm going to read what was said. So Ezra 9, when these things had been done, so when, when Ezra comes back, the Jewish leaders came to me, Ezra speaking, the Jewish leaders came to me. Many of the people of Israel and even some of the priests and Levites have not kept themselves separate from other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and the officials have led the way in this outrage. That's super racist. <laughs> Super racist. 
Again, description, not prescription. When I first read that, I was like, I wonder how many, <laughs> I wonder how many racists use the, that passage. But if you don't know the heart of God, you, if you know the heart of God, you know that's not a thing. So later on, people are like, what are we going to do? All this stuff. And Ezra is like upset because before all of this, God really did say like, please like just don't, don't mess around with the Canaanites and the Hittites and all these people because they're like, I'm trying to like, I, you guys have to be an example to the nations, Right. But once after, again, after they went to, after they went into exile, literally one of the prophets, which is Zechariah, he says, in those days, so he's talking about when they get back, in those days, 10 men from different, from different nations and languages of the world will clutch to the sleeve of the Jews and they will say, please let us walk with you for we have heard that God is with you. So we're having, we have these intermarriages and people aren't realizing like, well, maybe this is a way that the nations are actually going to come here. Like maybe this is a way to do it. Instead, they're like, well, why don't we just tell everybody to divorce their wives and send away the women and children? And Ezra's like, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Not once did they consult the Lord because the Lord would have absolutely said no. God hates divorce. He would have been like, this is not part of the plan. No one decides like, oh yeah, instead in their human minds, again, lack of grace, lack of mercy, because they want to keep things pure. And I was thinking about America. And I was thinking about the church. And I was thinking about how we handle How we handle people that are not from this nation. Okay. How we handle people who don't believe what we believe. Okay. How we handle the LGBTQ community. How we handle people who uh, have babies outside of marriage. People who do drugs. People who are addicted. Like all this stuff. And we give a harsh, a harsh, there's just such a harsh way that we, we look at people like this. Yeah. How are we supposed to show the nations who God is if we treat people like they are not, okay. that they're not human? <laughs> yeah. You can't, like, it's just impossible. And I was like, it's really, it's something that we are living in the age of Jesus, but we act a lot like the age before Jesus. And I know for myself, and I know a lot of people in this room have been affected by the harshness, have been affected by the lack of grace and the lack of mercy that the church has shown. But I fully believe in my heart of hearts that this morning God wants to change that and tell you that he is different. He never prescribed that for us. He never wanted that for us. And he never, 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 never wanted to separate you from him. 
This whole story has been about restoration. And unfortunately, humanity, again, with from a lack of understanding of grace and mercy, get in the way, and God's like, okay, I got to stop this. In John 8, which this literally came from the Holy Spirit, because I was like not planning on going to New Testament at all. But I feel like, so remember how I said there was this big festival when they were like, we are going to do all this stuff and all this stuff, and it never actually happened. So they continued this festival in the, ages, in the age of Jesus. It's the, fest, the Feast of, Tabernac- of Tabernacles. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus kind of hides away because he's like, it's not my time. I don't want people to come after me. And, but there's a story that happens at this feast, and I felt like it was such a redemptive part to show us the character of God and to show the people of Israel the character of God. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to see what happens, Lord Jesus. So this is in John 8, and it says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, the law of Moses says to stone her, and what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. And they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up. And he said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and kept writing in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. We have this woman who breaks the law. And we have a choice. The law says she needs to be stoned. Actually, her and whoever she was sitting with needed to be stoned, but they just took the woman. We won't talk about it. It's fine. (laughs) Patriarchy. But they're like, we got to stone her. And they try to trap Jesus and say, how are we supposed to handle this? Should we stone her? Or are are you okay with letting the sin slide? And he was like, He gives like the most perfect answer. (laughs) Let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And what's important to understand is that while Jesus did not condone what this woman was doing, he also did not condemn her. And I think there's a way that the church, and I don't have the answer yet, and this is something I'm praying on, but there is a way 
that the that the that we can get the world back here yes. to understand that yes you know what we might not necessarily condone the things that you're doing but we do not condemn you yes. there is grace here there is love here this is there is compassion here we will work this out together right. but we are not going to throw that first stone no right. I think I'm going to land because when I was reading this again, I just, I thought of, I literally, I saw all of, not every single face here, but I saw a lot of your faces and I, I just feel like not saying, I don't know. I feel like I just want to apologize to every person here who has been hurt by the church. Because there are wounds that the church, that people from the church, there are wounds that it's so deep that we're, like, we're afraid of God because of it. And that's like the worst thing. That is, God, that is, so much of what God is trying to pursue us is to get rid of that fear because he is safe. God is safe. Jesus is safe. And I am sorry that someone made you feel that the things that you do made you not good enough, made you not worthy, made you feel like you can't, that you can't have a relationship with him, that you can't have a good and fruitful and productive and amazing life because you can. You can have peace. You can have love. You can have all of the things that you deserve as a human being because you are who you are. And I'm sorry, like genuinely. And I just believe that this morning that the Lord wants to get into the deep crevices of our heart where that there's that hurt and that pain and that fear of getting close to him because he wants to meet you like he met with that woman and say I don't condemn you you are good you are loved we can work this out together Jesus is different period And if we have been on the other side, which I have also been on the other side, where I've been very harsh, very black and white, I think we need to ask for forgiveness from the Lord. I wore this shirt, as I often do, and it says, no human being is illegal. And I, my friend Nancy got this for me. And I was like, I have a feeling I'm going to wear that one day, and it's today. But I think we have done the church, capital C church, not necessarily Spindle City Vineyard, but I think we've done a not really good job of standing up for those who need us the most. And instead, we kind of join in the bandwagon. Oh, they don't belong here. Oh, they're sinning. Oh, I can't believe this. But the world needs... The world needs us to show the grace fulfillment of the law that Jesus is. 
no human is illegal. There's not one person who God does not want to have a relationship with. Doesn't matter who you sleep with, doesn't matter what you did, doesn't matter what you take, all that stuff. God wants a relationship with you. He's not afraid of you. Don't let your sin keep you away from him. We are all sinful. I am the first to say. I ain't going to bear it all right now, but I'll tell you later. But we can work it out. God, God wants to work it out. That's it. So let's stand. Thank you for letting me um, hurt feelings or whatever. I don't know. Dan, can you play some songs? So we're going to do ministry time right now. And basically, this is the part of our service where we sit back and we just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and to speak to our minds and to change us, to respond. It's our time to respond to what was just said. Yeah. If you're new here and you've not experienced our ministry time, sometimes it can get emotional, and that's okay. You might, if you want to cry, cry. If you need to get on the floor, get on the floor. If you need to raise your hands, if you need to scream, do what you, don't be alarmed. It's just the Holy Spirit working. But we are just going to allow the Holy Spirit to do his thing this morning.